holidays can be difficult. And you don't have to say amen just with a show of hands if you know of yourself or a family member who is grieving the loss of a loved one in the past year. And so I have a congregation that knows exactly what I'm talking about. I know that my, my uh, cousin Mary is, is grieving as well. And so I want to talk a little bit about how you deal with those who are grieving during the holidays. I want to come from, first of all, what our responsibility is for those who are grieving if we are not. And then at the end of our message, I want to give you a few points on how to go through this grief process and, and what to learn and what the Scriptures say. Because in the book of First Thessalonians chapter 4, the Lord knows that we're to grieve, but Paul tells the Thessalonians, you're not supposed to grieve the way the world grieves. Because the world grieves as if having no hope. But we have a hope. We, it doesn't mean that you don't grieve. It doesn't mean that you don't hurt. It doesn't mean that you don't cry. It doesn't mean that you're a robot. But there is a way to have good grief. You understand what I'm saying? And so God wants us to have this good grief as we go through the process. And so uh, the first part of this message, I'm going to talk about what our responsibility is toward those who are grieving. Say you are not grieving right now, but you have people that you're connected to that are. You can look up on the screen or you can turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. We can learn a lot through Job's friends. And what Job's friends did when they found out that Job lost all of he, that he had and when Job's health was attacked by the, the evil one, and we'll start at verse 11 where it says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all of this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, came from his own home. And then it says, For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they had raised their eyes from afar, they did not recognize him. They lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. If you got a message in that passage, say amen. Amen. And so, I'd like to talk about five things that, that Job's friends, that, that, that we can learn from Job, Job's friends. And if you would, turn to the next slide. First of all, you need to be present. Be present. It's under the heading of being present. You need to be there. For the last few days, there have been people who I have not known that have been there, that have given words of encouragement, that you need to be present, don't be absent. That does not mean you put your head in the sand and say, well, oh, I know they don't want to talk, so I won't make contact. You call anyway, you, make a, you, you leave a message, you, you, you see, let them see that you have called. Uh, if you're like me and you're grieving, I don't pick up the phone unless I'm ready to talk. And I'm so sorry if you've called, but, but i got to go through my own process. You understand what I'm saying? Let the church say amen. So number one, Practice the ministry of showing up. 
You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is show up. We have a member here at church who years ago, when I brought this to our attention, we're going to call it the ministry of showing up. You show up for people who are grieving. You show up on special days. You show up when they're in the hospital. You show up to celebrate. You show up to mourn. You show up to rejoice. You show up to to grieve with them. It's called the ministry of showing up. Everybody can do it. You don't need any training. All you have to do is be there. And so if someone loses a loved one, you need to go to the funeral, even if they're only one person that you know and you don't know any of the family. All they have to do is see your face. You don't have to say anything. All they have to do is see your face, and it makes a difference. Practice the ministry of showing up. Number two, you'll look in the Scripture. The Scripture says in verse 11, they had made an appointment together to come. Make an appointment to visit. You call, you text, you make contact and say, I'd love to come by and see you. Um, Occasionally, you come by with food. Occasionally, you come by with flowers. Occasionally, you come by with a financial gift, but make uh, an appointment to visit. Or if there is regular contact with the individual, like at church, you make an appointment. There's already appointments set if you see them at church and you make contact. If you understand what I'm saying, say amen. You'll notice in the Scripture in verse 11 that it says they made an appointment together to come. And then the next phrase is, and to mourn with Him. To mourn with Him. Now, you get an idea of their mourning in verse 12. It says, when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize Him, they lifted their voices and they wept. They didn't recognize Him because He probably looked bad. Those that are mourning, they may not take a shower. They may not eat. They may not change clothes from what they had on the day before. They may look tore up from the floor up. And then you see the anguish that they have. And if you are mourning with them, you feel what they feel. And you empathize with them. I remember when my mother died, I had a friend that called me who had only met my mother once. But she knew how close I was to my mother. And when she got on the phone, she started crying before I could. Rebecca Gilman. You mourn with the person. And then it says, For they had made an appointment together to come and to mourn with him. And then the next phrase is, And to comfort him. Now listen, comforting him does not mean that you have to preach a sermon. Comforting them does not mean that you have to tell them Well, you know he's in a better place. That helps no one. He's in a better place. He ain't here. I wish he was here. This would have been the best place for me, for him to be here. Or, you know, God knows best. All of those things that you know are true, you don't have to say them. Although some of the things are very true, saying them doesn't help. Unless it's asked for. You know, the most comforting thing I've ever seen someone do during a time of mourning is when somebody comes over to the house, Helen, and they start doing things that are unasked. When they come to the house and they walk in and they they go into your kitchen and they see that you have a, a sink full of dishes and they just start doing your dishes for you. Or they see that 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 things aren't made up and they start cleaning your house for you. That is comforting. Or they say, well, uh, listen, have you called folks? If you haven't, you give me the list and I'll make phone calls for you. 
Start doing things, and that, that brings comfort. But notice what Job's friends did for him. It says in verse 13, So they sat down with him on the ground. Seven days, they sat on the ground. They said, hey, we're going to be with you. we with you. You are doomed. We're going to sit with you for seven days and seven nights. And guess what the next phrase is? No one spoke a word to him. They were just there. Nobody spoke a word. And the reason why, the next phrase is, for they saw that his grief was very great. Words at that time just complicate things. They don't need you to come up with some elaborate illustration. They don't need you to give them a Bible lesson. They don't need you to, to tell them about what, what grief is. That you, you don't, all you have to do is show up. See what needs to be done to serve and to give. And then do it. Does anybody here know what I'm talking about? Has anybody here ever experienced that? That's what you do. And during these holidays, you don't allow folks to be alone. If they won't come to you, you go to them. Dress up like Santa Claus if you have to. Bring some gifts. Bring some eggnog. And I'm in church, but I don't care what you put in it. I'm just saying, y'all could bring me whatever you want. Mama told me it'd be days like this. But I didn't know it'd be days like this. Amen. Did you get all of them up there? All right, well, let's transition. And this may seem like a very weird passage of Scripture. But I hope that I can give you a context of it so that you can see that it applies. Because some of us are grieving, but it may not be that you are grieving a dead person. It could be that you're grieving a broken relationship or you're grieving how things have changed or you're grieving the loss of something or you're grieving because life isn't like it used to be and you're grieving that, 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 uh, with life, wanting life to be the way it was or maybe you're grieving the fact that, that, that you've lost a job or you, you, you've changed a job or, or a friend has moved away. Or, so, grief is not just about death. If you understand what I mean, say Amen. And it could be that not only grief uh, is there, but guilt is there as well. Grief and guilt, that is, that is a, a wicked combination. That when somebody loses something and they feel guilty about the loss, that that compounds matters. And so we're going to look at John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. I hope it's up on the screen. It says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Sign of son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Well, what does that have to do with grieving? 
You remember when Jesus told Peter, Peter said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll follow you even unto death. And Jesus turns around to him and says, Peter, dude, I know that that's how you feel in your heart, but I know your flesh. Even before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And so Jesus is arrested. He's taken into the courtyard. A little girl says, you were with him. He says, I don't even know the man. One of the soldiers says, hey, for sure this man is a Galilean. He says, what are you talking about? And some translations say he cursed him out. And then a third person says, uh, that I, for sure he's one of his disciples. And Peter denies it again. And all of a sudden, the cock crowed. Jesus was not, I mean, sorry, Peter was not one of the ones at Jesus' crucifixion. Peter hid out. Now, he did run to him when he rose from the dead. He was there uh, for a while. But evidence shows that Peter might have been so guilt-ridden and so grief-stricken that he goes back to fishing. He went back to doing what he did before he met Jesus. Some of, some of us can grieve so much that we go back to the lifestyle we lived before we even got saved. I can't, I can't, I just, I just can't do it no more. Jesus comes to him and doesn't even mention the denials. He loves him so much that he doesn't even mention it. And so, in addition to being present... We need to be prepared. And we need to have the right perspective. And to give perspective. So I'm not saying that this is what you tell people who are grieving. I'm telling you this because I want to equip you for when the grief happens to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, and, and it's also, Pastor, therapeutic for me. It's a message by one of my, my one of my preaching heroes, and and I went to it yesterday, and I just needed a word, and I needed to be ministered to, and so I listened to Pastor Keith Battle out of Maryland, and he only had two messages on grief, and these are kind of a combination of the two, and one of them he gave ten principles, and I picked out the five that I like the best, the five that really resonate with me, and I hope they resonate with you. Let the church say Amen. Point number one is simply this. You've got to realize that love is stronger than grief and guilt. Love is stronger than it. Notice what, what, what Jesus says to Peter. Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? He doesn't ask, do you miss me? Let me say that again. He asked Peter, do you love me? He doesn't ask Peter, do you miss me? Because that's where we get stuck. We often focus on how much we miss the person instead of how much we love the person. He also didn't ask, did you love me? He says, do you love me? Present tense. He has already told them that he's getting ready to go away and you won't see me anymore. But I want to ask present tense, do you love me? And so the, 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 the thing that protects my mind about my brother is not that, that, that do I miss him, do I love him? Yes, I love him present tense. Yes, I love him right now. Yes, I'm not going to talk past tense because he's still alive. We get stuck. 
It's not about who you miss, but who you love. You understand what I'm saying? Are you with me on that? It's not about who you miss. If you focus on who you miss, then you'll grieve in the wrong way. You focus on who you love. It's right there in the text. Do you love me? Do you love me? You know that I love you. And it's, point number two is simply this. Pursue or get back to your assignment. Pursue or get back to your assignment. In verse 15, in verse 16, in verse 17, after he answers the question, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. In verse 15, he says, Feed my lambs. Verse 16, he says, Tend my sheep. And in verse 17, he says, Tend my sheep. We've got to get back to our assignment because our job description hadn't changed. Saturday morning, I was right over there in Fairfield coaching basketball. I didn't mention to any of them, the players or my assistant coach, that my brother had died because I needed to get to work. That'll come in time. But I needed to. The worst thing you can do when you're grieving is sit and think. The blessing of God is that He gives you a routine. Continue with your routine. Don't stop coming to church. Don't stop doing what you need to do. If you can, take a couple of days off, but get back to work as soon as you can. If you have an ongoing appointment with someone, keep it. Keep your routine going as much as you can. And listen, that doesn't mean that you didn't love the person that you lost. That doesn't mean that. Don't let grief paralyze you. And don't let it sidetrack you. Don't do that. Our job description hadn't changed. I'm still to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. Amen or oh me. Point number three. Moving on does not mean you didn't love what you lost or who you lost. Moving on doesn't mean that. Grief is personal It's not a competition. Not a competition. Most of us think it is, so we crawl in the casket at the funeral. Oh, they must have really loved him or her. Oh, they. No, it ain't no competition. It's personal. Know that you're going to deal with the situation differently. Some of us are quiet and don't want to talk. Some of us are expressive and emotional. Some of us can't eat. Some of us eat everything we see. Some of us can't sleep. Some of us don't want to get out of bed. It is personal. It is not a competition. And it is not measured. You're not trying to measure by how much you love the person. Remember, move on. You're the one who is still living. At some point, you've got to move on. Now, let me give a caveat that is different for everybody. God does not have you on a timeline. God doesn't say, well, it's been three three weeks and you need to get over it. That is not what He does. But at some point, God says you got to move on. Now, Jesus, Jesus was gangster. After three days of Him dying, He rose up, met with the disciples and said, y'all got to get to work. Then, the Scripture says, eight days later... He appeared to them again, and that's when he appeared to them when Doubting Thomas needed to see his hands and his side, and and, and he was there again. This is 11 days. This is after that. 
And he, 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 he appears to Peter, and it's like, Peter, dude, you back to fishing. I, I called you to be an apostle to start the church. And so 40 days later, Peter is out preaching the first sermon. At some point, you got to move on. And I'm not being hard. That is for me too. Amen or oh me? Y'all real quiet. Point number four. Use fond memories as a medication. Use fond memories as a medication. Listen. I'm going to say this and I'm going to say this real clear. Do not let your loved one's death give you an excuse to just let your life go and fall apart. If I go, and I'm speaking to my family who is here now, church family and everybody, I want my life to inspire you to live and not traumatize you to go haywire. After I die, I don't want it to be said that my children, they just ate themselves into oblivion. You know, so-and-so gained 200 pounds. That is not glorifying about my life. I don't want to hear that they got on drugs because daddy died. I do not want to hear that they started drinking alcohol or, or got the loose living and wild living because I died. You do not allow the loved one's death to traumatize you to the point of, of, of living out of control. You use that as, a, as an inspiration for you to live out their legacy. What they said, what they did, and what they stood for. And that is what Jesus is telling Peter. No, you don't go back to fishing. No, no, I called you to be fishers of men. No, I called you to build my church. No, I called you to make a difference in the world. And many of us will use that as an excuse to go back doing what we did. You do not honor the person by that. However, you use the memories as a medication. You remember when Daddy did this? You remember when Sister did this? You remember that fun time we had? You remember, man, that was really some. You use it as a medication. You don't use those other things to medicate you and to take away pain. If you understand what I'm saying, say amen. Is this helpful? I know it's, it's, not, a be, it's not a pretty sermon. But there are people during, during the holidays that need us to give perspective or we need the perspective. Are we on point number five? Last one. This really helped me because I've been practicing it without knowing it. Schedule and manage your grieving times. Schedule and manage your grieving times. What do I mean by that? Listen, there is no virtue just because you, you were strong enough not to shed a tear. There's no virtue in that. Because my Bible tells me that Jesus wept. Listen, and Jesus wept and even knew He was going to raise up Lazarus a, a, a little bit later. He still wept. He still felt grief. He still felt the, the, the pain of loss. He, he still mourned His death. He, he was human just like we are. And so that, that, that needs to be a part of our experience. You need to be emotional. You need to shed tears. And, and, and Matthew chapter 5 verse 4 says this, Blessed are those who are mourned, for, mourn for, for they shall be comforted. 
And so mourning and grief becomes a gift. God has given you the gift of tears. God has given you the gift of crying. God has given you the gift of release in order to heal your insides. Crying is just the mechanism that God has given for you to deal with inward hurt. And the greater the gift, the greater the loss, the greater the pain. And so I schedule mine. My family probably says, well, Daddy really hadn't, hadn't gone off. I hadn't gone off in front of you. But it takes me 30 minutes from leaving 1308 to get to Restoration Academy in Fairfield. And I had my time. And I had basketball practice. I got in that car. I knew it would take me 30 minutes to get there, to get home. I didn't want to be a basket case in front of them. So I had my time. People driving behind me. What's that dude crying for? What's he, why, why, why is he wiping his eyes? Why? And parenthetically, my, my cheeks have never been this clean ever in, in, in the history of life. So you're grieving. You say, man, I'm, I'm really feeling it right now. It's 11 o'clock. And so from 11 to 11.30, I'm going to throw stuff. I'm going to holler. I'm going to cry. I'm going to get in my thing. I'm going to do it. But at 11.30, I'm going to wipe my tears. And I'm going to be all right. And if I have to do it again tomorrow or in a few hours, I'm going to do it. But schedule your grieving time. I was in, in the office during, during Sunday school, and I said, well, Lord... You know, I can't be a basket case up there preaching. You know, you, you, you can't do this. But make no mistake, after this is over, after this is over, when I read a few Facebook posts, when I see a few more pictures, when I have a few more thoughts, when I, I am going to go there, and it's going to be all right that I go there. Because Jesus wept. Yes, he did. Now, I'm going to close this message not on this point, but I wanted to close it on that, the, uh, the last point point on that point to give you a perspective. I want everybody to say the phrase, on the other hand. Okay. So I got lost, but on the other hand, I had my brother for 59 years. <laughs> yeah, on the other hand. So when you are grieving and when you are mourning, you recognize the loss, you recognize the pain, but there's always an other hand. There's always an other hand. There is always a hurt, and then there is always, on the other hand, a, a deep and profound thanksgiving. I thank God for my brother. I thank God for what he taught me. I thank God for the investment that he made in us. I thank God for all of the memories. I thank God that we grew up best friends. I thank God that we stayed best friends. I thank God for all of the times I made phone calls. I thank God for when we went out to California and we just had this grand on town. I thank God for when he came here, when we opened up this church. I thank God that he stood with me when we got married 35 years ago. I thank God that we talk about shared experiences and love. On the other hand, I got the best brother in the house. On the other hand, I got a niece and nephew who love me. On the other hand, I got eight great nieces and great nephews. On the other hand, my brother died on Thanksgiving, so I'll never forget the day. On the other hand, on the other hand, 
when Peter was mourning the death of Jesus and he was mourning his guilt and he was mourning his grief and he was going through all the process. On the other hand, it's, the only thing I want to ask you is, do you love me? And Jesus asked Peter, do you love me three times? You know why? Because he denied him three times. He said, I got you covered. Do you love me? You know that I love you. Do you love me? You know that I love you. Do you love me? You know that. Well, then get busy. Get busy honoring me. Get busy doing your thing. Get busy building this church. Get busy being significant. Get get busy making your legacy. Get busy. On the other hand, we got so much to be thankful for. On the other hand, I got life and breath. And On the other hand, I lost a brother, but I still got a wife. I still got four children. I still got a mother-in-law and a sister-in-law and a niece. I still got a church family. And I still got Jesus. On the other hand, great is the Lord and greatly uh, to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Uh, You will seek me. When you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. God so loved you, Pastor Mike. That he gave his only begotten son. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. On the other hand, I've got a God that I can lean on and depend on. Let the church say, Amen. Father God, we thank you so much for your word today. We pray, Father, that we would be just like you, Jesus. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Help us to have good grief. To do it the right way. To make sure, Father, that we're honoring You in all that we do. Father, You know better than anyone else You lost Your only begotten Son on a cross. You knew the grief. You knew the pain. You knew the separation. But on the other hand, Early one Sunday morning, He rose. He rose from the dead with all power in His hand. Lord, I believe that. And because I believe that, Your Word says that I'm saved. Because I believe that, I have access to Your power. Because I believe that, I have access to Your Holy Spirit. Because I believe that, I can grieve differently. Because I believe that, I've got resources. Because I believe that, I belong to your church. And I've got resources with people who will pray, support, and give. Father, I thank you for that. Lord, help us to preach that message to those who are grieving during this very difficult holiday season. The Anaya Blanchard family. Cupcakes family. Those who have lost loved ones tragically. Father, we pray for all of those. Lord, your, Your comfort is real. Help us comfort them with the same comfort that we've been comforted with. Father, we we glorify You today. We honor You today. We lift You up. In Jesus' name, won't each person say, Amen. The door of the church is open. It could be that you need Jesus today. You can come.